Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we begin a brand new series called God's Provision, focusing on Psalm 23 and Psalm 37. So let's begin today with a message entitled, All I Ever Wanted, from Psalm 23, verse 1. a title when you say, all I ever wanted. I mean, we live in a culture in which stimulating the wants and the desires well, feeds the economy. Car manufacturers know that it's essential that they change the design of their vehicles frequently in order to create a new demand for the next model. And people who make clothing have long known the same thing. I mean, my goodness, I wonder if you knew that the new teeth whitening formula could give you sex appeal. Well, it does. A white smile will give you an advantage well, in all manner of areas of life, including when you look for a job. So it turns out you need that. And I love this example. If you look around at the older houses, you find out that they're smaller than newer ones. And even though the average size of a family, well, it's become much smaller. Turns out we need more space. Same is true about cars, by the way. If you have a historic badge on your car, like a Corolla, or a Mustang, or a Civic, or a BMW 3 Series, Ford F-Series, I mean, a long-standing model name, you'll find that the car you now drive is significantly larger than when it first came out. All cars do. They kind of grow up, and that's because we want more out of them. Larger motors, larger interiors, larger everything. And furthermore, it turns out we need more food than ever before because we're getting larger. And then, of course, there are the phones that we use, which, as you know, are computers. And then we need a watch that tells us not only the time, but collects our emails and, and has built-in alerts and tells us how many steps we've taken, how our heart rate and vital signs are doing, and, and it also plays games when we're bored. Televisions are bigger and clearer, and they get more channels. That is, if you want them, I mean, after all, there are other ways to consume media, entertainment and what have you. And then, of course, there's the cost of downloading all the things that you need to have downloaded. Well, you know what I'm talking about. And then there's this little thing called vacations. You know, when Kathy and I got married, and yes, that was way back in the olden days, and I like to say that was before the Earth's crust had hardened, but we went on a honeymoon from Saskatchewan to the Black Hills in South Dakota. And we had a little Volkswagen Beetle, and we packed a tent in the back, and we had an adventure. And it never occurred to us that we should have gone to Hawaii or the Caribbean or off to Europe. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not knocking any of that stuff. But back in those early days of our marriage, you might as well have been talking about visiting the, the far reaches of the galaxy. I mean, it was just out of reach, and we didn't even think about that. And all of this comes at a price. You know, I recently read an article that said that somewhere around 25% of the population is so in debt that if there were only a slight change in the economy or the interest rates, it would put us into an immediate crisis. I don't want to sound hard-hearted, for I'm quite aware that a great many people do struggle to make ends meet. I, I have compassion, as we all should. But at the same time, it's sheer blindness that fails to realize that the level of our so-called needs has been rising at a staggering rate. Our culture is making us aware of more needs than we ever thought we had. You know, for one week, I want to talk about the provision of God from Psalm 23 and Psalm 37. 
They're both Psalms of David, and and today I want to start by introducing Psalm 23, probably the most memorized chapter in the entire Bible. The first verse simply says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's that first verse that I think sets the stage for everything that I want to say this week. You know, when I was a boy, that line, I shall not want. Well, I didn't understand it. I shall not want what? And then as I got older, I understood it to mean I shall not want anything, kind of like God is enough. But as nice as that thought was, I found myself wanting things. I, I did want a new car. And I could have told you exactly which new car I had my eye on. And then I wanted a girlfriend. And I wanted a good job. And so the verse was confusing. Did it mean if I got my life and my priorities right, I'd stop wanting any of that stuff? You see, early on, soon after my conversion, I thought this must be the case. God wanted me to stop wanting stuff. And so when I did get some stuff, like a new car that I was saving up for, I thought, well, probably God isn't pleased with that. You see, I had the idea that God must be, well, miserly. He would give me things, but to the most part, he wanted me to be satisfied with very few things in my life. And after all, I reasoned Jesus had no place to lay his head, and no doubt that's what God wanted for me as well. But was that really true? Well, go back with me to Genesis chapter 2. There God creates a world of abundance which includes rivers that water the earth. And then God puts the man and woman in a garden of abundance and tells them that they might freely eat of every tree in the garden. And the more I thought about that, the more it seemed to me that the garden was an invitation for the man and woman to to enjoy, to delight in his abundance. And more, God commanded them to work the garden. (laughs) And what could that mean since work was not a curse but a pleasure? And so it seemed to me that the man and the woman worked the garden to make it even more fruitful so that their enjoyment of the natural world would be greatly enhanced. And as I thought about that, it occurred to me that this was not only true of the creation account. You know, for instance, Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. In other words, there are luxuries of this earth that God has given us to give us joy. I also noticed in Numbers 10 verse 10 that that God had appointed the feasts of Israel and called them days of gladness. I also noticed that in some passages which warn us against desiring riches, there was actually a balance which I'd never seen before. For instance, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, there was an interesting phrase. He provides us with everything to enjoy. Indeed, the earth that God has made does provide the sons of Adam with everything to enjoy. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, He provides food for those who fear him. And I also noticed that Moses, at the end of the wilderness wanderings, as recorded in Deuteronomy 2 verse 7, says, You know, these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Ah, and suddenly, we're brought back to the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's the key. It's not that you shouldn't want anything. It's rather that you shall not be in want. You shall lack nothing. God's your shepherd. And like a good shepherd, 
He knows how to take care of his sheep. His sheep are not going to be gaunt and in need. They will be lacking nothing. Any good shepherd will see to that. Now, I know some of us might be wondering if if all of this is simply too good to be true. And if you sneak ahead to Psalm 37 and verse 25, it says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You know, some of us might wonder about that. It seems like the promises are just a bit too good to be true. And our experience in the world might make us wonder about this. We might wonder how this squares with passages like Hebrews 11, for instance, the passage that speaks of the great heroes of the faith. You know, in verses 35 to 37, it says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. I hope you see what I'm getting at. As beautiful and as poetic as Psalm 23 sounds, it does sound like it might be just too good to be true. But if we're not careful here, we might be guilty of assuming David lived in a castle of privilege and was unfamiliar with the everyday struggles of people at the bottom end of society. But here we must remember that David, who wrote this, had at one time been a fugitive, not knowing if the king would catch him and kill him. He was left at more than one time hiding in a cave. His wife had been taken from him, and she was given to another man. He was not welcome among his own people. You see, David was no idealist simply writing a poetic piece of romantic literature, dreaming about lying out near a running stream with nothing to fear. See, if that's what you think when you read Psalm 23, well, I'm quite sure that you have misunderstood this psalm. No, this psalm is about real life. It's about the real life of everyone who is watched over by the shepherd of his or her soul. David says, because I have been shepherded by God, I have never been in need. I've always been supplied with all the shepherd knew I needed at each hour. Now's the time to be thinking about a family getaway this coming winter. Time to get away to enjoy fun, fellowship, laughter, Restore yourself while being spiritually refreshed. That's right, join Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway for our fifth anniversary Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise. Sail the seas, enjoy the beach, spend some early morning devotions under the teaching and encouragement of Back to the Bible Canada's host and leader of our young adult ministry in doubt, Isaac Dagno, and enjoy incredible music and worship with award-winning musical artist, Rika. This is an event for the entire family and a time to celebrate God's incredible faithfulness. So join Phil and friends this coming February 3rd to the 10th on one of Royal Caribbean's greatest ships, the Oasis of the Seas, as we sail the Caribbean. Call today for details at 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca. Let's read Psalm 23 in its entirety. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, although Psalm 23 begins with the title, A Psalm of David, the psalm doesn't tell us when David wrote it, nor the circumstances under which the psalm was written. But that's not unusual. I mean, most of the psalms of David don't give us that kind of a detail, but, but as you know, many do. You know, for instance, Psalm 51 says, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Or Psalm 52 says, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And so we can see that some of the Psalms of David are quite specific and tell us the historical background out of which they come. But some, like Psalm 23, which identifies David as the author, gives us no historical background. And one of the reasons most commentators assume that Psalm 23 was written in David's later years is because he ends the psalm by saying that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when David was a young man, the house of the Lord, which seems to have been a reference to the temple, was not yet in David's thinking. And furthermore, the presence of his enemies that he mentions had begun to accumulate at the end of his life. When he was young, he could not have known how many enemies he would have had. But when he was old, he had known what it was when even members of his own household had become his enemies. And so it does seem best to imagine this psalm was written when David was old. And I mention this because the old David had seen it all. He knew his own sin in a way that he did not know it when he was young. He knew the disappointments of life in a way that he could not have imagined it when he was young. And he had come to know moments of great triumph and excruciating failure. And yet he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is, having had God as my shepherd has left me without anything that I needed. So let's return to our theme, all I ever wanted. And that is, all that I ever wanted has been provided by my shepherd who has guided me all my life. And that does sound strange because clearly, David has a very different view of things than so many Christians have today. For them, Jesus demands that they go without. I mean, they look around them and see all manner of men and women having a great many things that they find that they don't have. And our lives are consumed with the idea that we have unmet needs, but, but God has determined that we should live without having these things. And, and because of that, some of us have become overwhelmingly discouraged thinking that God is miserly and withholding good from us. Now, again, before I address that, let's look at the very first line of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we do know that David was a shepherd when he was young. You know, we first meet David in 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel the prophet has been commissioned by God to secretly anoint the next king of Israel. The existing king, King Saul, has been rejected by God, but he's still reigning on the throne, and, and so the thing had to be done secretly. Samuel is directed to go to Bethlehem and to visit the household of a man named Jesse. Samuel knows that one of Jesse's sons will be the next king of Israel. Jesse then had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but God had not chosen any of them. And Samuel then asked Jesse if, if these are all of his sons, and of course, as you and I know, they're not. And Jesse says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. 
You know, in short, no one even thought of bringing David to the feast. No one thought he was that important. They left him with the sheep, and his role was not leadership, but shepherding the flock. Well, Psalm 78 is a psalm of a man named Asaph. And in verses 70 to 71, Asaph describes what kind of a king David became. The psalm says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. And so says Asaph, The God who never wastes any of our experiences prepared David for his role of kingship in the humble fields of a shepherd. What David learned in the shepherd's fields were valuable lessons that he never forgot when he became the king of Israel. But there's more. David, according to Psalm 23, learned that the role of a shepherd in relationship to the sheep can be directly compared to the role of God in relation to his people. And interestingly enough, David wasn't the only one to think this way. You know, when the patriarch Jacob lay dying and was blessing his sons, he says to Joseph and his sons, and I'm reading here Genesis 48, verse 15, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And then with that, he gives a blessing. Of course, like David, who had come so many years after him, Jacob also had been a shepherd, as had all his sons. And Jacob came to the same conclusion that David would come to. God is a shepherd. And furthermore, what's even more fascinating is that Isaiah the prophet, long after David, also thought the same way. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says of God, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And furthermore, Jesus himself is called our shepherd. Hebrews 13 verse 20 calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, because most of us today have so little interaction with either sheep or shepherds, we might need a bit of a hand in getting the concept. We know that sheep are a unique animal. They have many predators that would feed on them, and they have absolutely no defense. They can't defend themselves, and they can't run fast. As Philip Keller tells us in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, he says a pack of wolves will literally kill a great quantity of sheep in a very short period of time. And furthermore, sheep very quickly lose their way. Sheep don't know how to care for their own needs and are dependent on the shepherd to lead them, to feed them, to defend them, to guide them. And for the sheep, everything depends on the quality of the shepherd. In John 10, the famous passage where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, verse 12 says that a hired man, when faced by a threat, will simply run away. He'll hardly risk his life for the sheep. But a good shepherd is very different. David, before he faced Goliath, told King Saul that at one point he had actually killed a lion in defense of his sheep, and on another occasion he had killed a bear. Predators can't harm the sheep as long as a good shepherd is there. And so a good shepherd defends the sheep, but also makes sure that the sheep are well-fed, cared for, and that all their needs are supplied. Hence is David. That's who God is to his own. He is my shepherd. And he's a very good shepherd. And for that reason, says David, I have not been denied of anything that I needed. Now, again, some of us are wondering if this is too good to be true. But let me take you to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 4. 
Remember as you read this that Moses, the man who preached this sermon, was himself, before he became the leader of Israel, shepherd. And the passage reads, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that a man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your foot did not swell those forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. <laughs> now I know. Now here the image has changed from that of a shepherd with sheep to a, to a father with his son, but the point remains the same. When God caused Israel to hunger, it was to teach them not to stray from him, but to trust him. And when he fed them, it was to teach them that there was enough provision that they need not fear. And then when there were no clothes to buy, he made sure that their clothes lasted so that they would learn that provision comes from his hand. And that's what Psalm 23 is all about. The sheep don't know what they need, but the shepherd does. And so he arranges matters for the sheep that will care for their needs. And that's why David, the man who knew both plenty and scarcity, says, Ah, but all the time, the Lord was my shepherd, and he has provided for me all that I ever wanted or needed. So join me this week as we continue to find out the provision of God. John, great message. Just a thought, from the very beginning of this passage, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So in essence, what we're saying here is that as we mature, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, he fulfills all our wants. We have no other wants. Yeah, I think that we need to have new eyes that begin to see that God has indeed been supplying everything that we possibly need. And I, I think that's so important for us because I think that's a part of Christian maturity to see how the shepherd has guided me, that his has been a very specific guidance. And I would even say that his guidance is individual in our own lives. The experiences that we've had and what we've gone through has been because our shepherd has wanted the very best for us. And it takes some maturity to begin to see how it is that he has done that. But, but once we get eyes to see, it really does, I think, just transform everything. Thanks so much, John. A great reminder that all of our wants are supplied in Christ. Remember to join us here again tomorrow as we continue our study in Psalm 23, God's provision right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. This month, Dr. John Newfell will be airing his new series based on Psalm 23 and 37, entitled God's Provision. And we want to offer you this five-message series on CD as our free gift for just listening to Back to the Bible Canada. This is a wonderful series to encourage the follower of Jesus and to remind us that we're always in the hands of our great shepherd. Ask for the series for yourself or to offer it to a friend that needs encouragement. And remember, you can also listen to our daily programs online through our podcast or by downloading our mobile app on the Apple or Google Play Store. 
So thanks again for listening today, and and make sure to ask for your copy of God's Provision, a study of Psalm 23 to 37, by just calling us at 1-800-663-2425, or visit backtothebible.ca today.